This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks so much for tuning in to Shine On. Today, Becky Cooper solves a mystery. Becky Cooper, a Harvard grad, has written the national bestseller, We Keep the Dead Close, A Murder at Harvard and a Half Century of Silence. We're going to visit with Becky in her beloved New York City. And we're going to hear how Becky finds herself wrestling the secrets out of Massachusetts. She was thinking about being a doctor, but then a random guest at a picnic early in her Harvard years told a story that put her on a different path. Becky learned how to become an incredible investigative reporter. She even got a job at The New Yorker to help her get more writing experience and learn how to finish this intricate book. Oh, but it's not her first book. Her first book was more of a collaboration with strangers. My first book was very different. It was a book of maps. I had letterpress printed these blank maps of Manhattan Island, and I gave them out to strangers by walking down the length of Broadway and asking them to fill it in with their memories and experiences and then to, you know, drop it into a mailbox so it'd be sent back to my P.O. box. And what did you learn? It was a wonderful series of portraits, not just of Manhattan, but also especially of the people who had filled out these maps. You know, I think I called them accidental autobiographies that as people were describing this place that they called home or had visited or, you know, just the the act of distillation was really this, you know, kind of beautiful revelation of who, who these people were and what they most prized. And Becky Cooper, a very clever way to get other people to write your first book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never not outsourcing. (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant. All right, a national bestseller I'm holding in my hands. We keep the dead close. A murder at Harvard and a half century of silence. Tell me when you first learned of this story. Absolutely. I was a junior at Harvard uh, in the year 2009. And uh, a friend had um, interrupted a picnic and he, you know, I was sort of like, well, if you're going to go join this picnic, let me at least have you tell one of your infamous stories. And so I bait him with something. And he says, well, if you want to hear a really crazy Harvard story and launches into what feels like an academic ghost story. And he talks about this archaeology graduate student in 1969 who had been bludgeoned in uh, the Peabody Museum at Harvard. Um, And the rumor was that it was her professor who had killed her because of an affair, and that the school caught wind of a newspaper article that was going to be published and forced the school newspaper to change the story because they didn't want it to be tied to one of their rising stars. And then a year later, I learned, you know, because I sort of filed this story away as, that's a great story, you know, that this person who interrupted the picnic really, you know, fulfilled everything I could have hoped for, but I didn't believe it except as a kind of myth. And and then a year later, I find out this woman had died not in the museum, but in her apartment. And then I find out that this professor around whom this rumor circulates was still on campus, still teaching 40 years later um, when I was a student there. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm sure my parents were very pleased when my next move was to sit in on this man's class. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
This is unbelievable. Yeah. And you said, I'm going to write a book about this? I, you know, at first, no. At, at first, it just felt like this dangling mystery that, or not even a mystery, this dangling mm, story that because people were too afraid to voice the truth or to ask the questions, where it was just left to linger. You know, everyone in the anthropology department at Harvard knew this story and suspected this professor, and yet no one was openly talking about this. And, and naively, really, it felt like, well, if somebody just asks the right questions or connects the right dots, it isn't this huge mystery to be solved. It's actually just this injustice that's waiting to be corrected. Um, you know, and that obviously turns out to be not the case, and it becomes infinitely more complicated. And, and I think when it turns to um, reveal itself to need really an investigative journalist to report it, then I, you know, start thinking of it as a book. Um, but at first, no, at first I just, you know, sort of thought maybe somebody just needs to ask the right question. Becky Cooper, we keep the dead close. You mean to tell me for 40 years, Harvard professors suspected another professor and everybody just agreed to stay quiet? Yes, and students, uh, graduate students had collected a file on this person for decades and passed it between themselves um, as a way of warning. Because the, the thing about graduate students in particular and, and undergrads is that they flush out every few, and few years and they wanted to make sure that um, no one had uh, lost track of, of this story. And along comes Becky Cooper. And how does Harvard feel when one of their own finally writes the book? I mean, this, the story becomes much more complicated, and, and, it, and it, you know, I, I, I think I owe it to the professor to clarify it isn't actually him, but it becomes much more complicated and a larger story about, all right, if it's not this professor who did it, A, who actually did kill this woman named Jane Britton, and B, why are we so willing to pin it on this professor. Why did this story seem so plausible? And it becomes this larger story about the abuse of power in academia, particularly against women, which was both true in the 1960s and true still today. Um, and so, you know, Harvard didn't directly respond to the book, but coinciding with the book's release was three anthropology male professors um, being revealed to have been serial sexual abusers. Uh, one of whom was banned from campus, one died, and then one there's ongoing protests. Um, and so, you know, there's a kind of vicarious dealing with the story without actually dealing with the content. Becky, how did that feel to you when you heard the news that three professors were exposed this way? Complicated. Um, you know, because I think on the one hand, it was what my research had been driving toward in the sense that, you know, I, it felt very clear to me that what I was investigating wasn't just the silencing of one woman on one particular night in the 1960s, but in fact, this systemic silencing of, of vulnerable people within this very hierarchical system in academia. So, you know, it, 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 it unfortunately did not surprise me at all. Um, but it did feel complicated because, you know, over the course of investigating Jane's story, I wasn't able to investigate these other professors. And so there was this this strange kind of parallel justice being met where this other professor story, the one in the original rumor, wasn't one of the professors who was a serial sexual abuser, in, at least revealed in, in when I finished the book. And um, 
And so it was, you know, how do you countenance um, a, a false story about someone being voiced to tell the truth about others? What does Jane's family have to say? Her parents have sadly passed. Um, her brother, I'm pretty close to and have remained close to since the book has come out, which I never wanted to rely on being true. Um, and, you know, I think he, over the course of my investigating the book after 50 years, nearly 50 years, the case is finally solved. Um, and, you know, I think he, it, it, it is a, a bittersweet conclusion that still leaves unanswered questions, but I do think that after 50 years, 50 plus years at this point, to have an answer is it solace, even if it doesn't offer any Comfort. resolution. Right. Exactly. Um, and uh, we hear your New York City in the background there. Are you, are you still in New York City, yes? <laughs> I, yes, I've, I've happily moved away from Boston. I moved back to Boston for, for a little bit to write the story, but I've, I've escaped back to New York. Right, right. I, I noticed that as a New York sound in the background. So, <laughs> and what of the professor that everyone whispered about for all those years? You know, it's interesting. People talked about him as having worn the reputation of being a murderer as a kind of invincibility cloak, um, where he knew that people had whispered this about him. And, and at least the legend, not just of his being a murderer, but, but, but really of his wearing the story as something that would give him power within the department was, was an interesting dimension to explore. He has since retired. He retired finally in, in 2016, um, but, um, you know, still as a, a figure on campus. But he, you know, it was um, a question really of did the solution to finding out who killed Jane Britton remove some of the gravitas um, of, of this unanswered story? Becky Cooper, the book, We Keep the Dead Close. If that intruder didn't show up at your Harvard picnic and you say, you know, <laughs> tell me a story to sing for your supper. If that all hadn't happened, what would you be doing now? <laughs> I mean, I certainly a wouldn't know the story because that was the strange part about it. Everyone within the department knew no one outside of it remembered. Um, so I certainly wouldn't have written this book. I, I don't know. I, you know, I think maybe I, I would have been a doctor. I had always said that that's what I wanted to do when I started college and then I found these two stories and I said, yeah, I want to pursue that first and then I'll see what I do next. Although after having finished the book, I gave myself permission to explore all these other avenues and I've, you know, found myself back at the center of a, you know, Massachusetts historical mystery. So maybe the, <laughs> the, uh, this path was inevitable after all. Yeah. It feels like it chose you. It chose you. This is so wonderful. I want everybody to read the book. It's a nice big 434 page <laughs> book of mystery. It's written so beautifully. Um, and there's still so much to be revealed inside the pages of this book. And uh, Becky, what are you working on now? Well, I'm working on, on, on that historical historical mystery. It, it truly is everything that I said I didn't want to do, which is, um, you know, archives that, that don't want to speak to you um, and, and Massachusetts, which is <laughs> particularly, um, not, you know, not transparent in, in, in releasing its secrets. But I think that for me is, is what the appeal is, that I, I, I dislike secrets and I feel the need to kind of pry where there's darkness. So 
that. <laughs> I can't say much more. Look out, Massachusetts. Becky Cooper <laughs> has got her eyes on you. Uh, Becky, you are so much fun. So this is it, a life of writing? Perhaps. Who, who knows? But who knows? It, it feels like it pulls me, so I, who am I to fight against it? And how does it feel to have a national bestseller? Quite surreal, really, you know, because I worked on this book for 10 years and and it, it morphed from um, just a responsibility to Jane to then a responsibility to her friends and family and around enough writers to know that the gap between what you imagine it to be and what you ultimately create is is often painful and then you know there's really no guarantee that even once you create something that's as close as your ideal that anyone would would, would read it um, or like it and so the fact that I was able to create something that felt honest that the people who are in the story and, and still alive feel represents this really tragic period in their lives. And also, um, you know, it's found its readership um, feels remarkable. How about other authors? Have you met now other authors? Are people reaching out to you like wanting to be your friend? <laughs> you know, I think part of the credibility that I was afforded came from, I, I, you know, as I realized that the book or the story needed an investigative journalist, I realized that I needed to basically put myself into into a kind of boot camp. And I got a job at the New Yorker magazine to learn how to be the kind of reporter that, that Jane needed. And, um, you know, the generosity of my colleagues uh, at the time at the New Yorker is is unparalleled. You know, there's a staff writer named Rafael Kachadorian who spent hours teaching me how to write FOIA requests and appeals, or Patrick Rodden Keefe, who wrote a book called Say Nothing, also about an unsolved murder that happened in 1969, just sort of, you know, counseled me through what happens when the archives are um, more rich in some years and really thin in others. And, and David Gran, um, you know, whose book The Wager just came out and is, you know, the kind of top of his class when it comes to investigative reporting of this kind, you know, helped me figure out which jurisdiction has the Jane Britton's files. So, you know, it has been a wonderful experience of a writing community that has really set me on this path and, and, and uh, continues to kind of nurture me. So I feel very grateful. How weird is it? You meet another guy, a co-worker. You meet a co-worker at the New Yorker and he's like, I'm writing a book about an unsolved murder from 1969 too. <laughs> what are the odds? Let's have a I drink. Mean, it, <laughs> 1969, what somebody called it loaded real estate, which feels very true. So. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, you know, I didn't let myself read his book until mine, mine was nearly done because I was so afraid of of stealing his techniques because, right, what are the chances? <laughs> Anything so, else our listeners need to know? Just to say that it's available in, in bookstores across the country and, and in some countries outside of this one. So that's it. That's it. That's Becky Cooper. She wrote, We Keep the Dead Close, a national bestseller, a murder at Harvard and a half century of silence. Can't wait to read what she's going to do next. Isn't she delightful? I just found her so easy to talk to, so much fun. Uh, thank you, Becky Cooper. And now I want to tell you a little bit of the backstory about how I came to know Becky Cooper and this book. Her dad, Michael Cooper, is a name that I've known, I I would say, since I've been in radio. Michael Cooper is an A number one radio fan, and he calls into radio stations, and he wins prizes, and he participates. And Michael Cooper has been part of my radio life, my entire radio life. This is his daughter. I was so surprised to get a package in the mail the other day from Michael Cooper from Queens. 
saying, my daughter wrote a book, thought you might like to read it. Michael, it is great to be connected this way. Now you really feel like family. And I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon, the next time we're giving away a prize. And you have a lovely daughter. And one of the things I love about Becky Cooper's story is she didn't go to Harvard looking to write a book, but that's the path her life took her on. And recently, I've heard from several women who thought a life path was closed off to them. But in these last many weeks, each one of these women found their way back to a path that was waiting for them. Let me explain. One of these women, let's just call her M, she is a bright, accomplished, professional woman who has a pretty big job. But time after time, when it came to the annual gala, she was afraid of public speaking. She was told she wasn't the smart one growing up. So she always passed that job on to somebody else. But this particular year at the gala, this woman found an exceptional keynote speaker, somebody pretty famous, a a TikToker. And she wanted to introduce that TikToker. So she did a little work and dug down deep inside herself and realized when she was coming up in a super big family. Her birth placement was in between two of the quote-unquote smart siblings. So look to the left, there's an outgoing smart person. Look to the right, there's an outgoing smart person. This woman felt like, oh, she didn't have anything to say. So she was the quiet one. But just recently, she stepped up to the microphone and stepped out onto a path that she wanted to be on. Professionally, she knew she shouldn't be letting other people take the spotlight when rightfully she should take it and present what needed to be presented. So that happened there. In another similar situation, another woman, we're going to call her Kay, she wanted to take on more of a leadership role in her community group. But this leadership role came with a lot of speaking. And this woman, Kay, remembered that when she was in school, she was always the one that got up to read. She was always the lector. And at one particular event, I think it was in eighth grade, she was prepared to speak at the school function and the teacher took that job away from her and gave it to someone else. Now, Kay can't remember if it was a punishment to her or a reward for the other student, but she remembered the teacher saying to her, you're upset with this decision, aren't you? And she says, no, no, I'm fine with it. Wasn't true. She was just a kid trying to cover up her feelings. And 40 years went by before she spoke in public again. And just recently, this woman was initiated into her leadership role in her community group. She did a little work. She practiced, she found her way back to a road that was waiting for her. And then there was another woman, we're going to call her Jay. When she was in school, a teacher told her she was not a very good writer and she should not continue putting efforts into writing that she didn't have any gifts or talents in that area. And this woman went on to have a brilliant career as a teacher. But then she had the opportunity She was invited to write a story for a collaborative book. And she dug down deep and she wrote her family story. And even though it was many words over the word limit that was requested, the editors of the book loved her story so much they published it as is. So these three stories fell into my path in these last coming weeks, all during Mercury retrograde, by the way, if that means anything to anybody. Oh, and I have one more story, too. It's about Violetta. Remember my friend Vi? 
during the pandemic, I was talking about her all the time. She was like the only person I was talking to during the pandemic. Vi is shy. She's an introvert. When we have our monthly Zooms, it took forever for Vi to turn her camera on. But Vi also has something to say. She has a great knowledge of crystals and a great love of coffee. But she's always been hesitant to step out. But in these last few weeks, Vi did a brave thing and went back and found a path that's been calling to her. And now she's on Insight Timer, which is a great app. And she has her own channel, and it's called Coffee and Crystals with Vi. So you can uh, go live with her on the app and have like a little coffee time, and they'll talk about different crystals and things like that. So there just must have been something in the air or stirring in a lot of souls these last many weeks as people inside the Circle of Women group found their way back to a path that was waiting for them. Now we're looking at a new moon, and that is a wonderful time to plant seeds. That period from when we can't see the moon until we see a sliver, and then it grows and grows and grows to a full moon. This is a wonderful time right now in the new moon phase to plant seeds. Is there something in your life you've put aside and would like to go back and reclaim? Or are you headed in one direction on a certain path and maybe you think you just want to jump off for a bit and try something else like Becky Cooper did? Now would be a great time to write down some thoughts about where you want to be in the future. Something you'd like to do, something you'd like to try, places you'd like to go, habits you'd like to leave behind. This is a great time right now to plant some personal seeds. Now, if you, like me, have trouble asking for what you want, asking for what you need. I'm going to introduce you to a very special guest next week. Her name is Laura Fredericks. And Laura Fredericks has written a book called Hard Asks Made Easy. And she's going to teach us the words and phrases to use and the mindset to put ourselves into before we ask. And then you're invited to meet Laura Fredericks and me Wednesday, June 14th from 6 to 8 for a little book talk and a little wine and cheese and book signing. And you can ask your questions directly to Laura Fredericks, author of Hard Asks Made Easy, How to Get Exactly What You Want. This is happening at the Kinocyto Arts Center on 7th Street in Verplank. Coincidentally, just a few doors down from the Let It Shine Again thrift store. I have to keep it open that night. Get details at caseysplace.com or a circle of women on Facebook. And I do hope you'll join us there. So coming up this summer, we have two weekend retreats for women, one in July, one in August. They're both in New York. Find out more at caseysplace.com. Invite your friends or come by yourself. We're going to have a wonderful time. How are we going to change the world today? We are going to take a look at the path that we're on. And we're going to examine if that's the path we want to be on. And we're going to look at the places in our lives when things intervened and took us off our path. Like that picnic guest who arrived in Becky Cooper's life at Harvard and told a story to entertain. And she ended up writing a national bestseller about that story. Maybe those interlopers with stories to tell are really angels sent to help us find a new path. And think of, too, the women that we spoke of who accepted a life sentence in their youth that they were the quiet one, they were the shy one, they weren't the one to speak up. And they got to a point in the path, maybe they had gathered enough courage or enough experience or enough truth about themselves to question the labels somebody else gave them. And they stepped onto a different path. You can do the same. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. Our thought for the day is from the Buddha, who said, if you do not change direction, you may end up where you are heading. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine on.